In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. As Ryan said, we're starting and continuing our series on the book of John. This will last about 15 years. (laughs) Do you know this is a church? That was a joke. But what an incredible way to start a book, a writing, a letter. Have you ever written anything where you're like, I think in order to get my message across, we need to start when the universe started. Imagine... What was going through John's mind to say, I want to start here in the beginning with a bang. Now, I probably don't need to tell you that the first verse I read was from Genesis 1. And it's clear, crystal clear, that what John is saying, hey, wake up, wake up. I'm using this phrase, in the beginning on purpose. I'm creating a parallel here. I'm making, I, I want you to be aware of something that's going on. So I am saying in the beginning in parallel to Genesis. And in fact, if we just sneak ahead a little bit in, in verse four, it says in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shone in the darkness and the darkness has overcome it. If you go back to, to Genesis one, verse three, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. There is a clear connection here to Genesis 1. John is starting right in. He's getting our attention. And he says this, In the beginning was the Word. What an odd phrase. What Word? Isn't that the natural question? If you didn't know the Bible, if you'd never heard this before, wouldn't you be like, the Word, and it's someone has capitalization issues here, because they put a capital W in front of this. In the beginning was the word. Well, does this not remind you of a few things of God spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. There was a word spoken and life came to be. Perhaps that's what John is pointing us to. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Wait a minute. There was a word that was spoken that was with God. What an odd phrase. And furthermore, and the word was, okay, there's this word that was God. What a bizarre and amazing way to start a book. A couple things to note. The word word in the Greek is logos. Logos, it's a very, it was a known word at that time. At the time that John was writing it, actually, it was found about 600 BC. 600 years before John wrote, there was a Greek philosopher that came up with this word logos. 
And it was part of his whole paradigm that he saw the world wasn't just this chaotic place, but rather there was an order to it. It made sense. And there was this guiding, leading principle behind the whole thing called the Logos. And so here, John is saying, in the beginning was the Logos. And all the Greek philosophers would nod their heads, yes. Yes, we know this. And he would continue. And the Logos was with Theos, was with God. And they'd go, wait, hold up. And, he, and John would continue. And the Logos was Theos, was God. And now the Greeks are like, okay, bro, you're, you're going way beyond. He's making a statement that's beyond what they've established. And then it says in verse 2, he, okay, wait, 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 what? We're a person? Do you see what's happening here? There is a statement, a bold statement being made that there was a person who was with God and was God and was with God in the beginning. And, verse 3, all things were made through him. And to emphasize the point, and without him was not anything made that was made. What a bold statement to make. What a way to start a book. I want to learn more. I want to hear more. Come on, John, tell us more. Well, that's why we're going to go through this book. I want to give you, I'm going to sneak ahead a little bit again because he goes farther, as you, you probably know this, but verse 14, he says this, and the Logos became flesh. I mean, if, 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 if the first verse, three verses didn't blow your mind, I'm going to say this. The Logos put skin on and came and walked around. The Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory, we've seen it. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> what a bold claim for John to make. Next month marks one year since my one year marks what, next, next month marks one year since my grandfather died. I want to show you a picture of him. Um, if you can go to the slide with a picture of my grandfather. This is Scott Herzog. It was very close to my grandfather. I spent a lot of time with him. He wrestled with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was, was with God, and the Word was God. And we would have conversations back and forth about this. I, as a kid, my parents brought me up that where missions was a value, where evangelism was a value. So when I heard that my grandfather had a questionable faith, a faith that he described as a Christian, a Christian without questions. I took it as a personal mission as a kid to, to address his questions and his arguments. And I would, I'm like, just tell me, what is it? I would call him Opa. That's what we, he wanted to be called Opa. We called him Opa. Opa and Omi. I did not cry when I was preparing this. <laughs> I took it on as a kid. I took it on 
through high school. I took it on in college, and we would have these conversations, and we would email back and forth, and he would raise any sort of question, and I would try to find a way to answer it because I wanted my grandfather to follow Christ so badly. That was like, I, I, can't, I don't even remember when it started. Oh, he was smart. He had an office at the top of the Wells Fargo building in Minneapolis. He helped start a law firm called Moss and Barnett. He argued in front of the Supreme Court of Minnesota. And he was the co-counsel of the, um, not the defendant, the, um, the prosecution, the, the, the plaintiff. He was the co-counsel of the plaintiff for the largest medical lawsuit in Minnesota history. That year, Christmas was amazing. <laughs> I'm serious. He, he bought us a snowmobile, a brand new snowmobile. So we went back and forth, and he would, he would, he would bring up questions, and what I would do is I'd go, what I thought I should do. I don't know. Let me go find out, because I wouldn't know. So I'd go and I'd research, and a lot of times we'd, he would bring things up like, say, evolution. So he'd bring up evolution. That, and for, to him, you couldn't have evolution and God at the same time. So like, I would go and try to refute evolution. I would go like, study it and, and read all these different things that would, that would counter evolution. And the more I discover, the more I'm like, wait, I kind of see what he's saying. I get his questions. And it would bother me a lot. But I came to a conclusion, there was this revolution in my, this, this kind of revelation in my mind, this kind of, this change of thought pattern where I realized that I'm getting stuck with him on the how. I'm trying to understand, he's trying to understand how things were made, how it was actually done. And I'm trying to like explain it. I'm trying to like look back at Genesis 1 and explain it and understand what's, what's going on there. And I'm getting stuck. Like, for example, Genesis 1, uh, seven days, right? Look, I believe that if God can create the world, if he can create the universe and everything in it, he can create the universe in seven days. I mean, is that a big jump? It's not. If he wanted to do it, he could do it. No doubt. John, if, if, if God can make the universe, he can make it in seven days. But is that what he did? That's the question. So the text says it, clearly, in seven days. But when you look at some of the other things that are going, other, other things that scientists are bringing up and understanding, you go, wait a minute. Why does the earth look so old? And that was his question. Why does it look so old? And then there's, there's debates back and forth. Well, the science is messed up. Like, you can't trust Carmen dating. You can't trust, uh, um, uh, the, 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 there's stuff within the fossils that, that happen faster than we think. And, and there was a flood that messed everything up. And there's all these different arguments that I would go back and forth on. And then I, was, I realized and saw there were other interpretations of Genesis. For example, perhaps, one of the, perhaps a day marks thousands of years, right? So that's how we get to an a older earth. Or there's another one. What if there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2? So verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Then there's like a billion years. And then verse 2, and the earth was formless and void. So there was all, that's, that's, one, that's a theory. There was another one that came up to mind, and I shared this with him, was that in the 19th century, we discovered there were 
other creation stories. In fact, there's one in Babylon that looks very similar to our story. One they uncovered in these tablets, and it was contemporary to the time that that Genesis 1 was written. And it has some similarities. For example, one of the similarities is this. The order of things were created. One of the challenges of Genesis 1 is that day 1, you have light created. Day 2, you have the sky created. Day 3, you have uh, vegetation and land created. And then day 4, you have the sun. Do you see a logical challenge with this? How do you have morning and evening and days when the sun is created on day four? I, he asked that question. I didn't know what to do with it. It, it, it. it threw me off. Until I understood something. Maybe the intention of Genesis 1 was not to give a play-by-play video recap of what happened when the earth started. Maybe that was it. And maybe what the, the intention, the message of Genesis 1 was this. Who did it? Because here's the thing. The Babylonian and other creation stories, there, was this, there were these gods that would fight. And out of that fight and out of that battle cre- was creation. That's what emerged. And the Genesis 1 story, there's one God. And he, on his own, created the world. And so perhaps the message is not so much how, but who. I brought that to him. I said, look, let's, let's get away from the how. Let's get away from those questions. Those are great questions. They make sense. And there's lots of very well-meaning, smart people that believe across the spectrum of all the things I just laid out. Let's step back and, second, and, and ask the question, in the beginning, Who? In the beginning, what? Why is there something rather than nothing? And in that, our conversation shifted. Because there's a lot of implications to saying, I don't think there's a God. We can debate evolution and how old the earth is and all that sort of stuff. But then, let's get down to the core question. Is there something beyond this reality? Because if there isn't, what are the implications there? He struggled with that. I struggle with that. Can you imagine that reality? I can't. I was discouraged and had been discouraged because it seemed like our conversations would move and, and, and change. And even, even when I brought this question of more of who and why rather than how, it did help our conversation. But it, it, he never got to the place where I saw him take a knee and, and follow Christ. What I did see was I saw a brokenness in him that emerged, especially as he got older. But there was a brokenness that emerged that I didn't see actually until this week. When I started to look back at our old emails, there was a time when Jesse Ventura was president. Remember this guy? Oh my gosh. Governor. (laughs) He was governor, and he said this. He said this. uh, Religion is for weak-minded people. That's what he would say. Right? Remember this? And I remember having a conversation with 
with Opa, and I said, hey, what's, what's with Jesse and the, you know, and religion, weak-minded people? And the Star Tribune had this article in it about this U of M professor that was extremely respected, who was, uh, he, he was a scientist, and he was, he was being, his life was being celebrated as it was declining. His name was Dr. Eris. And uh, I sent him this article, and I said, look at this, this uh, story, um, and look at what he says. And, he's, and, and in the article, Dr. Eris says, look, I, at, the more I've studied, the more I've learned, the more questions have been raised, the more I realize how much I don't know. And then I just go back to my faith in Christ, and I go back to the beginning, and I go back to understanding creation was made by this amazing God. And how could it not be? That, that was his ground. So when he would go explore all of science, he would ground himself back in the creator God. That resonated with me, and I shared it with him. I emailed it to him. And Opa responded. I didn't see this until recently. If you show the next slide, he said this to me. We're taught, this is my grandfather, we're taught it's not always black or white, but that the real truth is found somewhere in between. When your own intellect fails to find the answer, you must admit that there is something more. And you go back to the beginning and the creation of our world and our lives. You then become, as did Aris, humble and joyful. I could see my grandfather just tasting it. He was, he was seeing what, like, I was trying to bring him very smart, intellectual people who, were, who had faith in God so that he would see that faith, respect it, and then embrace it. That was my point. And I saw him getting closer and closer. You go to the next slide. But through that struggle, I learned one thing. The question is, why? Why did this all start? Who's behind it all? What's the ground of all creation, ground of everything? And the second thing I learned, I learned is this, is that we as Christians, we as Christians often are accused of being anti-science. We are. I think sometimes we're afraid of science. But let me raise a question about this, because it helped in my conversation with my grandfather, was this. Science, at its core, at its base, is about pursuing what's true. It's a disciplined methodology to understanding what's true. What's the problem with that? We as Christians, we're all about the truth. We want to know what's true. So we should celebrate that endeavor. God gave us brains. He gave us this amazing world, this amazing universe to explore. Why would he do that if he wanted us to not explore, not understand? We should celebrate this. We should celebrate the pursuit of truth and the way science does it. I don't think it has any conflict with our faith. The challenge comes here. This is where it happens. And I'm seeing this a lot, which is why I'm kind of obsessed with it, which is why it kind of bleeds in a lot of my sermons. But it's this. I hear a lot of conversation uh, around, yes, science, yes, truth, and we're going to figure it out someday. Let me explain. We're often, as Christians, accused of making arguments called God of the gaps. Have you heard this before? God of the gaps. This is what, it, what that means is this. We see a gap in our understanding. We see, a, like my grandfather did. We, what, what, this doesn't make sense. We see a gap in our understanding, and Christians will often do this. God did that. We don't understand it, so God did it. 
And so, so throughout history, there'd be gaps in our knowledge, gaps in our understanding of how the world works, and we would just credit God for all those things. It's a mystery. God did it. God knows. Which, to me, I'm not mocking it. I'm saying that's what we do in our faith. We trust that God did everything. Therefore, any question we have, God's behind it. Yet, there's more to this in that science has begun to understand things and fill the gaps down the line. For example, we would often attribute something to God based on the weather. The weather would do something, we would then say, well, God must be angry or God must be pleased. Until we began to understand meteorology and know how it all works, we filled a gap. And science is, and, and we still struggle with forecasting, but, but we're, <laughs> but you see what I mean? Like we're starting to understand and get our minds around different things. And, like, and, and we're seeing this increase. The fact that you have a smartphone in your pocket means that there is a, a we've accomplished a lot when it comes to science. But here's what's happening is that a lot of scientists and a lot who are going against the scientific, or who are pursuing the scientific endeavor, see there are many gaps in the future. And since we've plugged so many gaps all the way to this point, they have faith that we're going to plug them all. Just, and you'll hear, you'll hear phrases like this, just give us enough time. Just give us enough time. Uh, there's a famous cosmologist named Sean Carroll. I heard him in a debate with William Lane Craig, and he made this statement. He goes, I go to cosmology conferences, which, who's been to a cosmology conference? Cosmology conference, and no one's going, well, what do we do with God here? No one's asking the question, how does God fit in here? They have, we have all these models with how the universe works, and no one's asking that question. And he kind of laughed and smiled about this. And what I see is sometimes what, I, what some are calling scientism, where it's this almost this arrogance, like we're going to figure it out and we're going to push God out. Just give us time. We're working on it. And I, can, I, I respect that people are working on it. I respect that they are doing scientific work and trying to understand things and plug gaps. I understand. I, I respect that. But when you go so far to say, we're going to figure it all out, we're going to plug all the gaps and there's going to be no room for God, I got a problem with that. In fact, what I want to say is what you're doing is you're putting your faith in science. You're putting your faith in the work of man. And I see us at a crossroads there. When you're at a crossroads of, am I going to put my faith in the scientific endeavor? Or am I going to look at what would cause someone to write in the first sentence of his book, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. What would cause someone to get to the point where they, you know, I, if I were to give John some advice, I would say, 
keep this punchline for the end of your book. No, no, he couldn't hold back. He wanted to put this at the very beginning. He said, from what I've seen, from what I've experienced, from what I know, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was not only with God, he was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. What caused John to get to this point? And that's what this whole series is going to be about. We're going to see and expose and show what Jesus showed to John. So if you want to go to the next slide, that's what we're calling this, 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 this series. Come and see. Come and see what would lead someone to this point. Come and see what we, I know many of us in this room, we would say we don't put our trust in the scientific endeavor. We respect science, but we see that in the end, behind everything else, behind all the questions, there is Jesus. You see, for John, Jesus was more than just a Nazarene. He was more than just like a carpenter. He was more than just full of wisdom. He was full of wisdom. In fact, when you flip through John, you see lots of red text. They ran out of ink printing John. He's quoting Jesus all over the place. John had this up front seat of who Jesus was. For, for, for John, Jesus was more than just a, 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 a healer. He healed people. He was more than just one who would take care of the poor. And he, he took care of the poor. John saw up front, up close, who Jesus really was. He saw his Messiah go to the cross. And he saw his Messiah rise from the dead. Can you imagine what that does to somebody? And and we can see what it does to somebody. Can you imagine when you see your Messiah, your rabbi, your teacher live their life with such integrity all the way to an execution and then defeat death? Can you see how that would result in going, I trust this man. I trust what he said. And I have to get this off my chest. In the beginning was Jesus. Behind everything was Jesus. The one who I spent three years of my life with. The one who I was a disciple of. He was in the beginning before all things. His name is the most powerful name in the whole world. That's what we want to see. So God, as we continue on this journey, as we move deeper into the book of John, help us to be moved like John was. Bring to life who you are, Jesus. Help us to see that you are the answer to the deepest questions of life, that you're behind it all. And while there's a lot of things that can be confusing, a lot of debates and a lot of, a, a lot of different views and perspectives, we can ground ourselves in you. We can ground ourselves that you are behind it all. You are the foundation of our faith. Your resurrection is the foundation of our faith. God, I want to pray for the, the doubting heart, the doubting soul, those that are struggling, that, 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 that through, through the noise, that your truth would come out, Lord. That we would reach a place where we would also want to 
say from the rooftops, start our book with, in the beginning, was Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and do that work throughout this series. Bring your book, the book of John, to life and show us how powerful your name is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us and let's close our service with singing.